So my present to myself for finishing my MBA is going to be a new tattoo. I think I'm down to like a few pieces I'm going to have her add in. Are you going to go full sleeve? Um, maybe like three quarters. Like a cactus. Fat what cactus. And then uh, an armadillo, She's I think. Back. Made of red velvet cake? No, that's terrifying. <laughs> uh, armadillo made of red velvet cake? Yes. Mm-hmm. So oh, I forget about that. Yeah. <laughs> Hi everyone, and welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore. I'm one of your hosts, and as always, I'm joined by Scott Melson. What's up, man? Hello, Scott. How are you? I'm excellent. How are you? I'm just peachy. I just left our debate for between the Democratic candidates for labor commissioner. Yeah. That was interesting. I knew nothing about either one of them before, and now I know something. So it's a success. All right. That's the, that's the point, right? That's the point. If you missed it, you can watch it on Facebook, and I will at some point export it and put it on our YouTube page as well. Beautiful. Scott, with us in studio. We're not in the upper room tonight. We're not, we're not in the upper room because the upper room is not... Uh, Large enough for tonight's... Or properly ventilated. That's also true. But we are in your dining room, joined by not one, not two, but six esteemed guests tonight. Guests slash studio audience. Studio it's audience, first that's right. live studio audience. I'm going to go uh, clockwise around the table. To my left is Nicole moissant Gillette, who is not just an attorney, not just opinionated, but also the president of the board for Let's Fix This. Hello, Nicole. Hello, friends. Thanks for joining us. Welcome, Her Madam husband, President. That's Madam President. Ooh, that's a nice ring to it. Um, her husband, Ryan, who's also adequate, is in the back near the cheese board. Hello, Ryan. Thanks for being here. Scott, your wife. Ashley is here. Hello, Ashley. Thanks for lending us into your home yet again, as you're used to coming home and seeing me in your upstairs room. Uh, my fiance, Katie. Hello, Katie. Thanks for joining us. Katie's taking photos. And then other two guests, uh, Kim Woods from the Homeless Alliance and also just a great person and friend. And Clayton Barr, the wine doctor, as many of you may know, he's on Twitter, he's on KOSU, a man of many talents. Thanks for being here, Clayton. Thanks. I would I would also be remiss if I didn't note that uh, Juno will probably make her customary appearance uh, yes. on the pod this week because right. uh, we can't lock her out of the upper room, so she's here, she's with it, she's watching, uh, got a close eye on the cheese, and we'll... Uh, See if she decides to make her presence known as we go throughout the episode. That's right. So we've got four segments on deck tonight. The last one will involve the cheese and some wine pairings. Yes. Um, so we'll get to that in a minute. That's the part everyone's waiting for. That's the <laughs> exciting part. That's what I'm waiting for. I've not had dinner yet. Uh, so our first, uh, well, before our first section, a pre-first section, two quick announcements. A pre-section? Three. A pre- a, yes. Pre-section? A, f- a frontal? Yes. That's what the music, though. Are we going to get sued? No, I don't think it's a trademark term in all of our guests. Oh, no, do you? Yes, the answer is yes. You're oh, yeah, we should ask our, <laughs> ask our counsel. It's <laughs> not a trademark term. <laughs> I don't know, man. Josh Josh seems like he likes to trademark things. Well, yeah, but you can't just say trademark. That doesn't that doesn't make it actually trademarked. Well, I know, but I'm just saying. Actually, I, do, I don't know. That's where we're not. That's we'll, we're, we'll defer to the two attorneys in the room. Not the two schmucks over here in the corner. Josh, if you're listening, we know it's not a frontal. Oh, man. What if he listened to our podcast? That would be so badass. He needs a life. Um, <laughs> so uh, up, up first, um, three quick announcements. First is that on Wednesday, uh, June 20th, is our debate between the Republican candidates for state auditor and inspector general. 
Um, there are no Democratic candidates for that. There is one Libertarian, um, I believe, but that's a separate primary. So yeah. this is for the primary election. That's going to be at Trolley Stop Record Shop at 1212 North Penn, which is where we were this evening for the uh, uh, Labor Commissioner debate. So that's at uh, 6 o'clock, I believe, next yes, I think Wednesday. That's right. Or that's yeah. Wednesday the 20th. And then Saturday, June 23rd, at the Tower Theater at 2 p.m., we'll have a debate between the Republican candidates for Attorney General. Y'all, that is going to be a good time. So the like word that is going to be that is that's going to be a good time. Yeah, I, everyone I've talked to about that has said, "Ooh, that's a nasty race." Yes, and it's going to get it is going to get rowdy. Word nasty. Yeah, which I think that's like a word my mom uses, um, and I was like, "What? I don't. I hardly ever watch like daytime TV or any TV, and so." Um, I haven't seen the commercials, but apparently it's been nasty. Yeah, that's going to be a, like, bring some beer and popcorn situation. They sell beer. Ooh, they sell popcorn, too, I think. Ah, well, so come come prepared to buy beer and popcorn because yeah. you're going to want some. So there's three candidates for attorney general. And this, I mean, all these races are statewide, and they all really matter. But this one, the attorney general has a huge role in Oklahoma, and people forget about that. So there's incumbent See Mike Hunter. Pruitt Scott, currently of the EPA. All right. Do we have a Pruitt Watch segment today? Dude, you know it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so incumbent Mike Hunter and then Republican challengers um, Gittner Drummond and, um, oh, uh, Bonilla. Um, I forget her first name. Man, I'm sorry. Um, but We'll cut it. Yeah, we'll just <laughs> splice it in. Cheryl Bonilla. <laughs> um, so, anyway, that's uh, those three candidates. Did we ever find out if there's a slogan for Get on the Gittner? Gettner Drummond. I don't know, but today because is Gary England's final Friday night in the Big Town. I did not know that. I, it's true. Okay. I also apparently he's blocked a lot of people on Twitter. <laughs> he retweeted me, but he all my friends were like he blocked me. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Jump back, Loretta. Um, all right. So those uh, those two debates, the twentieth and the twenty third, details are on our website and our Facebook page. And then the following week on Tuesday, the twenty sixth, is election day. <laughs> And uh, for primary elections, Scott and I both took off work all day. Because we're those guys. We're going to drive around town. We're going to talk to folks that are holding signs and medians. We're going to talk to voters if we can. We're going to take someone to vote for the very first time. We are. We have, we, have got, we have a voter lined up who has never voted before. We're going to pick him up, take him to his precinct, and witness the first-time voter in his natural habitat. Right. Now, we can't video in the ballot that box. That is correct. We shall not break any laws while we're doing this. But in the car on the way there, yes. I'm really excited to hear just his experience, what he's thinking about it beforehand, and what he thinks afterwards. I mean, yeah. it's not like... Uh, it may not be life-changing, but what if it is? Right. How cool would that be? Right. What if he's a changed man? <laughs> his comes out and his bum knee is healed. <laughs> <laughs> Voting can do that, I heard. I read it on the internet. So we're very excited about that. And then in the evening at 6 o'clock on the 26th, we're going to have a live podcast recording at Okinawa in the Plaza District. We'll be in the back, so just come in the door and walk all the way to the back. Scott and I will be there with all four of these microphones and a smaller recording device than right. what we have tonight. <laughs> and uh, we would love for you, our listeners, to come and join us and share your thoughts, share what you're watching, what you're hoping for. Uh, we've got State Question 788 that's on the ballot. We've got a whole bunch of candidates, 800-ish candidates. Uh, and so we're interested to see and hear from you. Yeah, I would love to, love to see anybody come out and say hi, give us your thoughts, tell us what your experience was like on election day and what you're most looking forward to that evening that's right including 
what your favorite beer is that's on tap at Okinawa. Absolutely. They have 36 varieties on tap, I think. 36-ish? If you're playing the drinking game, that's your first shot of the night, by the way. A lot. All right. Uh, if the children are listening, we're talking about milk. Different kinds of milk. That's all. <laughs> all right. Um, let's get into raw milk. Don't drink that. <laughs> I almost bought some raw milk cheese tonight. And I was like, who? No. That's raw <laughs> milk that's gotten moldy. That's disgusting. <laughs> what? Isn't it? I mean, it's... I don't make cheese. I, I, <laughs> it's pretty good. It's pretty good. It's, it's outstanding <laughs> is what it is. Well, I didn't buy it. Did you buy some? Uh, I did not bring a raw milk cheese. Um, I got a couple different cheeses over there that I like, that I like very much. Didn't you have a... You've shared a raw milk story on the podcast previously. Yeah, so... Um, As a physician, yeah. mind you. We were in a co-op, a food co-op. It was delicious. They had raw milk. Hippies. We drank it. Hippies. And we we did we only did it for like I mean not very long because my um, my my we didn't inhale yeah <laughs> basically my f- my fear my fear of um, all the diseases that you can get and die from with raw milk over like that overcame my absolute conviction that it was the most delicious milk I've ever had right I forget which state it was but Effie has a story about a state legislature that voted to pass. To like allow raw milk, and they all drank raw milk on the floor, and then they all got sick. Yeah, yeah, um, that's a great legislative. You don't, you don't, you don't want to be that state guy. government story. All right, let's jump into our first segment since all of our audience and guests are here waiting for something else. Um, Scott, uh, lead us on this segment of don't miss this our weekly roundup of news and highlights. So you know we usually try to keep this to like five topics and five articles. Um, we haven't had a don't miss this. There's in about nine four on weeks this list. Now. Uh, I'm getting there. Um, I and believe me, this is curated. Like I try to cut it back as much as possible, but there is a lot that has gone on, and we haven't had a don't miss this in several weeks. So I really didn't feel like anything that's on the list was you know really should be cut. So we'll dive right in and try not to let it get too cumbersome. Uh, first article we've got for everybody this week is from the Tulsa World. Um, this is a if there's really only one thing that you're going to read this week. This, is, this should be it. Tulsa World has a fantastic article where they take all of the candidates running for governor, uh, libertarian, independent, Democrat, and Republican, and ask them the same set of like eight questions dealing with lots of the issues that are facing the state and just put their answers out there. Um, we'll post both versions of the article on the web, or I should say links to it. The first one is quite lengthy. It gives every single question and it kind of gives verbatim every candidate's answer to the questions. The second one, which we're going to go through here briefly, um, is kind of more of a like cliff notes, the the highlights, the the kind of best nuggets of this, if you will. I love um, a good nugget. You, a good nugget. I mean, can't beat a good nugget. Question Except through for a strip. It's like a really big nugget. Well, I'm okay. Well, that's like a whole other conversation. <laughs> a whole true. podcast of like strips versus nuggets. That's today's wine and cheese. Next <laughs> week, chicken nuggets. All right. <laughs> Um, <laughs> so the questions are dealing with things like state question 7088, 788, the medical marijuana bill that'll be on the ballot in June, school shootings, constitutional carry, uh, Senate bill 1140, which was the religious freedom adoption bill that passed in the waning days of session that made me almost have a stroke on the pod. Uh, the revenue package house bill 1010 XX that funded teacher pay raises, um, business incentives, tax incentives that are designed to lure businesses to Oklahoma and of course abortion. So these are all of the issues that they have posed to the candidates. We're not going to read all of them to you, although I think, Andy, it might be worth our time to just have a whole episode kind of diving through this article, talking about the gubernatorial candidates, because I don't know I don't know that anywhere else, that any other outlet has put together this 
comprehensive of a look at all the candidates side by side. That's that so, very well could be. I, I know <coughs> that uh, the Tulsa World has this. The Journal Record has a pretty good um, kind of candidate. It's more of a launch pad where you can go yeah. to their pages and stuff. Right. And Oklahoma Watch, which I think is next. There were there were a couple nuggets nuggets again that I thought were worth mentioning. Uh, Dan Fisher, who's a former state house member who is running for governor, talks about the uh, revenue package that's uh, House Bill 1010XX that's designed to fund teacher pay, ra- pay raises and says that raising more taxes for education is like, and I quote, throwing more drugs at an addict. No, I would not have signed that. That's offensive in a couple of ways. Yes. I will say that I've not seen many Dan Fisher signs, but the ones I have seen are very large. That's Yes, that is very true. He has a few really big signs. Yes, that is very true. So... Um, next one, Gary Jones, current Oklahoma State Auditor, candidate for governor, uh, on the revenue package that funds teacher pay raises. Uh, would he have signed it? He says, quote, not only would I have signed with it, I'm the one who came up with the plan. So to his so, credit, Auditor Jones did, he's put out a couple of plans. I don't know what to make of him as a Republican. It's I, I think we're going to know a lot more. Um, I don't think he's going to get the nomination because everything is really down to Lamb, Stitt, and uh, yeah, Cornette right now, but Jones could be a sleeper. Yes, yes, indeed. Um, Gary Richardson is a personal injury lawyer in Tulsa. Um, I just, this is, you know, not to belabor the issue, but on abortion, and I think that, you know, there's been a lot made of this quote uh, in the news, but I personally don't think it can be said enough. Um, he says, and I quote, we must do something about abortion. I believe as long as there are legal mechanism whereby we can work at changing Roe v. Wade, that we do it. That if it comes to a place, there is no legal way. I don't know. Is that a clause? An independent clause? That if it comes to a place, there is no legal way? Ask the attorneys here. That sounds like... I, I, I don't really know how you would die here to four. But he says that if it comes to a place, there is no legal way, then we take up arms and do what we have to do. So I think that that's a candidate for the governor of Oklahoma calling for an armed rebellion against the government. Grab um, your pitchforks. But that's... You know, there's that. Um, Half the room takes a swig of their wine. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and those were really those were really the only um, those were those were to me kind of the the highlights. I, I I can't stress this enough. I do think that the whole article um, in its long form is absolutely worth uh, worth a look to get to know more about the candidates we've got rub- running for governor. So, Scott, I will say that I will uh, inform our listeners that you have created this formidable agenda for us, as well as multiple copies printouts of these articles for us it's a packet it's a packet this this would require a medium-sized clip not the small one but the medium to large size clip which i'm a big fan of the i call them bulldog clips but i'm the black with the chrome hey man we don't have acid here on let's pause this this is true we whole acid every <laughs> time <laughs> um so do you have this document saved where we can just I do paste it to a blog post. I do. You're a wise man, Scott Melson. All right. What I do. So next, Oklahoma Watch has a great piece this week talking about this is an explanation of the legal effort to try and block the petition that would undo House Bill 1010XX. So we'll unpack that. House Bill 1010XX, this is the bill that passed in special session that funded teacher pay raises, right? This is the revenue raising mechanism, taxes on cigarettes, little cigars, gas, diesel, all the taxes, uh, increased gross production tax on oil and gas. Mm-hmm. Senator, uh, Former U.S. Senator Tom Coburn has a group, Oklahoma Taxpayers Unite. They are attempting to undo this using a process called a veto referendum. They're collecting signatures to put an initiative on the ballot in the fall that would basically say, unless the voters of the state of Oklahoma agree, 
like the, the, the taxes would not go into effect. In response to that, professional educators, um, uh, professional Oklahoma educators and the Oklahoma Education Association um, and some other education-related uh, advocacy groups, they filed a lawsuit against Oklahoma Taxpayers Unite trying to block their effort to stop the bill. Right. Does that make sense? So group one wants to block the bill. Group two wants to block the block. Yes. That's well put. Much better than my summary. I'm a simple man. <laughs> so um, this was interesting because the uh, uh, case was fast-tracked and heard before the Oklahoma State Supreme Court on Monday. Um, basically, the arguments come down to kind of two points. The Professional Educators Association, they are saying that um, Senator Coburn and his group should not be able to really even file this lawsuit. Like the whole thing is basically invalid because you can't use the veto referendum like this petition process to block a bill that would, uh, if it didn't go into effect, would create a threat to the public peace, health, and safety of the people of the state of Oklahoma. And they're saying that if this bill, if 1010XX doesn't go into effect and there's no revenue to fund the teacher pay raises, that creates a threat to the preservation of the public peace, health, and safety. That's their argument. I'll say our audience looks very thoughtful right now. Everyone was kind of looking up at this guy going, hmm. Indeed. That makes uh, sense. Pensive. Pensive, if exactly. you will, yes. And then uh, OEA, Oklahoma Educator Association, they have made a technical argument saying that because the Oklahoma Taxpayers Unite's petition does not include a copy of the legislation and the uh, language that is explaining the tax increases is not adequately explained, that should, on technical grounds kind of dismiss Oklahoma Taxpayers Unite and all the signatures they've gathered so far. From the lawyers in the room, is that is that an accurate summary? Yes, I would agree. Delightful. All right. Did, um, did anyone, a question for the audience, did anyone watch the Supreme Court hearing online? No. I listened to part of it. Got a little fiery. Uh, I, you know, I didn't get to watch it. I uh, saw some recaps and read some stuff. It seems like there are several of the justices are pretty skeptical <laughs> of Oklahoma Taxpayers Unite. In fact, Justice, um, which one? I don't remember. One of the justices told OK Taxpayers Unite that this was like at best sloppy and at worst like deliberately misleading. I think is the word she used. Yeah, I mean, they almost said, "How dare you!" Yes, but they didn't. They're Supreme Court justices. So. Um, anyway, this this is another How one that you I say think that is in a dignified way. I mean, I think you just did it. Well, I think this is definitely worth a read. It really goes through all of the kind of options here. What happens if the court rejects their challenge? What would happen to the raises if Oklahoma Taxpayers United is successful? Um, it kind of walks through the whole process of this this whole kind of legal uh, imbroglio that has engulfed. House Bill 1010XX. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. if you are concerned about the potential for education funding in Oklahoma next year, you should read this. Um, next up, we've got a great piece from our friends at the Enid News and Eagle, um, citing a study that Medicaid work requirements would actually result in an increased cost to taxpayers and harm to families that depend on Medicaid. I feel like we've talked about that here on the pod before. We have. I feel like we've said similar things, and now there is data, apparently, so that's good. Full disclosure, there was data before, um, but there's new data. Um, basically, the legislature has passed a bill this session that t instructs the Oklahoma um, Oklahoma Healthcare Authority to ask the federal government for permission to institute a work requirement for 
qualifying for Medicaid. Um, several states have made that request to the federal government. As of yet, no state has been granted that waiver. Um, Oklahoma's trying to become the first. Um, this is a great article just looking at why it seems kind of counterintuitive, but why that would would really be harmful to to families that depend on this service. The facts are that most families who are actually on Medicaid, most of them already do work. The ones who can work do, and the ones that don't work or don't work as much as this um, waiver would ask them to, they have really good reasons for it. It's either that they're too ill to work, it's because working that much would mean they can't afford childcare for their kids, um, it's because there's not a job available that would let them work that much, um, it's because the jobs they qualify for or that they can get don't pay them enough. Um, so there, are, there's really several, I think, pretty good reasons why <laughs> trying to get this waiver is not a great idea. Um, and this study that uh, the Enid paper talks about would seem to concur. Mm-hmm. Can I make a small request mm, as we move anything. forward? Yeah. I deeply appreciate the copious number of articles you've Stop compiled it. here. Stop it. Stop it. But in the interest of time, let's do numbers. Don't throw it away. I'll let's throw your face away. Let's, <laughs> let's do numbers four, five, and nine. Because the other ones are somewhat federal and uh, they while important. They are, but I feel like we're just teasing our listeners with these. I mean, we've teed up we've teed up Nicole for like six and seven. You're just going to come Oh, okay. Out. I didn't know she was going to speak in yeah. this case. I defer to the... Yeah. Uh, Council. Yeah. And then number eight, you don't even know what's in number eight. Yeah. You don't even know. Uh, I feel like that's uh, distinctly federal. <laughs> from so next up from the New York Times, uh, the Supreme Court issued a ruling this week that basically allowed the state of Ohio to adjust how they can take people off of their voter rolls. They've got a process where if people have not voted in two years, um, they're allowed to take them off of the voter rolls. Um, some people would argue that that is in violation of the National Voting Rights Act. Um, the reason it's on here is because, as it turns out, this is the first time that's been ruled to be constitutional. Guess what other state in the union uses a similar process to take people off the voter rolls? Rhode Island. Now, it's a great guess. There it is. A guess from the audience. Well done, Katie. Yeah. So I felt like that was particularly pertinent since we are all about advocacy and getting people to vote. And now people in Oklahoma can just get kicked off the rolls if they don't vote for two years. I thought they already could be removed from the rolls. Yeah, that's the law. But it's been challenged in the Supreme Court. And this is the first time the Supreme Court has said that, yes, you can do that. Because the Voting Rights Act says that you can't use lack of voting behavior Mm -hmm. to uh, discharge somebody from the voter voter registration rolls. So and now you can. The, well, I'm not a big fan of this in particular. I will say one obvious way to combat this is to vote. Indeed. 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 <laughs> if you vote, you can't be kicked off. That's very well, true. <laughs> hope for, for this. <laughs> but who knows if what you, else. If you registered to vote and it was a huge like pain in the ass and you don't want to do it again, just vote and you won't have to do it again unless you move. A body in motion stays in motion. Nice. Bringing Isaac Newton into the podcast. That's a first. <laughs> Physics and That's politics. First. All right. Up next. And we're about time. We've been, we allotted 20 minutes for this section. We've got six and a half minutes left. You have a timer Court, going. <laughs> courthouse. No, I'm, I'm not, I'm not immune to our ideas about time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, from Courthouse News Service, Justice Patrick Wyrick 
who is currently a uh, justice on the Supreme Court for the state of Oklahoma, has been nominated to be a federal district judge, right? Judge for the Western District of the state of Oklahoma. Um, his confirmation advanced through the Senate Judiciary Committee this week. Um, Justice Wyrick, if he is not confirmed by the Senate to that post, is also up for retention uh, to retain his post on the Oklahoma Supreme Court this uh, election cycle. Is that quick question? We may get to this later, but are state Supreme Court justices, is it an appointment for life? Or you, yes. you didn't read the outline. I have not. I just got here. And <laughs> hooked up. I was helping <laughs> film the debate. Thank you very much. <laughs> They so are yes, it is. Life. So what's the? So they're appointed for life, but they're subject to retention every six years uh, on a like staggered cycle. So this uh, this term, five of them are up for retention. So what does and that then mean? In twenty twenty two, so you can vote to retain them or you can vote not to retain them, but they don't have an opponent. So we love to say here on the pod, oh, it's and like we a are, vote of no confidence, right? So we we say on the here on the pod routinely that you can't just vote somebody out you have to vote for someone else and that is true except, except in the case of the oklahoma appellate judiciary which includes the supreme court the court of criminal appeals and the court of civil appeals did you do all this research today Fucking a. <laughs> <laughs> well done <laughs> I'll, bleep, I'll bleep that later <laughs> so uh we have two attorneys here um and we're just gonna say like you know, Justice Wyrick, um, I don't know a lot about him, being that I'm a non-lawyer, and we're going to talk more about this later, uh, how, as non-lawyers, should we approach voting for members of the bench. Um, I just know that Justice Wyrick, he's, I think, 35, maybe 36. He's about my age. He went to OU, baseball player, clerked for a while, was in private practice, and then was Solicitor General of the state of Oklahoma at a pretty young age, and argued several cases at a very high level in the federal court system, including the United States Supreme Court. So it would seem like he's, I guess, qualified for this. Um, I don't know if that's the right word. What, do you, what, are, your, what are your thoughts on Justice Wyrick and his nomination? You know, his legal career has been so enchanted. Um, he clerked, he went to a high-profile law firm for three years, and then he got appointed Solicitor General, which put him in charge of the appellate cases in the state of Oklahoma, representing the state of Oklahoma in some really high profile cases. So he actually argued um, for the state of Oklahoma in regards to Sharia law. And he argued in regards, er, on behalf of the state of Oklahoma for plan B. And he was actually the attorney who argued before the Supreme Court of the United States in the Glossop trial, um, which was the big death penalty case. Um, and so that was the one where Oklahoma was talking about the types of drugs that they used and whether or not they were constitutional. Um, and then after his few years as Solicitor General, he has been appointed to the court or the Supreme Court for about a year now. And um, when he got appointed to the Supreme Court, there was a lot of discussion as to his actual residency. He was a registered voter in Atoka, which I believe is where his family is from. It's also where the speaker's from. Yes. living in Moore and he was voting in Moore and so there was a question as to whether or not he was a proper candidate for the seat that he was filling in the Supreme Court um, and then the um, case against him got um, kicked out because the people who brought it didn't have standing so even his position in the Supreme Court was um, highly contested and as um, the confirmation 
in Washington, they actually brought up his arguments on the Glossop case, and he actually is somewhat infamous because uh, Justice Sotomayor um, wrote a scathing um, opinion towards him and, and accused him as nicely as possible from the bench of not being truthful with the court. I mean, she like almost straight up called him a liar, right? Like Pretty much. Um, and I have the the quote here, but basically she said that um, she wouldn't believe anything that came out of his mouth unless she saw it with her own eyes. Um, you can't see words like that. <laughs> well, that's not how it works. <laughs> I don't believe it unless I you can see it. I'm going to let you take that up with Justice uh, Sotomayor. I uh, know. I'm... <laughs> um, I, bet, I bet she could argue that you, in fact, can see words. I'm no li- uh, language scholar either. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, he's done some really strong arguments for the state of Oklahoma. Um, and he's been significantly successful with the arguments that he's made. Um, he did have some real loser arguments, and he sure. argued them well. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, he also, it was interesting to me. I So there was a case um, recently, I think this was last, last year. year. Yeah. It was the case where the cigarette fee uh, mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. ruled to be a tax and not a fee, and so was declared unconstitutional, mm-hmm. um, which kind of threw the state into, I forget what special session we went into because of that. I think it was the second one. Um, I believe Justice Wyrick actually authored the majority opinion he did. there, um, which I, th- I think surprised a lot of people. Um, not only that, A, he authored the opinion, but that he authored the majority opinion considering the court ruled the way that it did. Is that right? Yeah, so it was definitely a surprise. He hadn't been on the bench for very long when he got that majority opinion. Um, and considering the ruling um, and considering his political background, yes, it was surprising. Um, but I think as we'll kind of talk about later, you know, one of the benchmarks of how we really evaluate judges as practitioners is are you willing to follow the law, regardless of what side of the argument you would fall on naturally? Are you willing to follow the law? Um, and there's strong arguments that he's following the law where he thinks it's appropriate. Interesting. Really interesting. Well, that's a great piece, kind of a profile of him and talking about his uh, nomination for the federal bench from Courthouse News. And we'll make sure that's up on the blog. Only two left. How about them apples? All right, let's do it. All right. Next up from uh, the good folks at 538. And the reason why uh, the reason why that I've got this piece in here, the title of the piece is basically um, that – how is how is President Trump's popularity holding up in states across the country? Um, the kind of the headline is essentially that um, the president is not, you know, generally speaking, he is not as popular now as he was when he first took office. Um, his popularity has seen a drop. He remains um, largely in good stead among um, Republicans. Republicans, for the most part, still view the president with about a 90% approval rating, but it is significantly lower among Democrats and independents. What struck me about this is that 538 talks about the president's approval rating going down in all 50 states. So he's gone down everywhere. But then they rank the states by where his approval rating has dropped the most. I was just perusing this list and thought, huh, I wonder where Oklahoma is. I assume we're going to be near the bottom because the president was always popular here. He's still pretty popular here. So kind of by point of reference, like he's only uh, dropped six points in Louisiana, six points in Alabama, seven points in South Dakota, you know, uh, West Virginia, he's only down minus 10. So these are these are states where you would expect the president to still be pretty popular. In Oklahoma, President Trump's approval rating is down by 22 points. Oh. 
22. We are like we are near the top. New Mexico minus 31, Illinois is tied with them, New York, DC, Utah, Vermont, Delaware, Washington, then Oklahoma. President Trump's approval rating has decreased more in Oklahoma than it has in Massachusetts. Well, but he had farther to fall, too. He did have farther to fall. That is 100% true. But it's interesting to me that when you compare us to states like West Virginia, states like Alabama, states like Mississippi, South Dakota, where he had, you know, similar approval ratings, how much farther he's fallen in Oklahoma compared to some of these other states. Um, I just thought that was an interesting point to make. Um, I think it's important to, to remember that this doesn't actually mean anything other than that's what his approval rating is so there's no way to think about how this translates into you know voting behavior what that means for elections in oklahoma in the fall it doesn't mean that oklahoma is suddenly going to become like the progressive state in the country but i think it is interesting to kind of have in the back of your mind is one data point when we're talking about election results um, both on tuesday and in november i totally agree so that's why that's on there also i can't fault you for bringing a 538 politics appreciate that i know all right, and now the moment everyone's been waiting for, my favorite segment every week. <laughs> it's time for Pruitt Watch. We have N- special music for this now. We do, we I will do. insert it later. It. New York Magazine. New York Magazine, I, I just, you know, I can't say it better than them today. It's become routine now. Wake up, drink some coffee, and read about the latest ethical scandal involving EP Administrator Scott Pruitt. That was the whole quote it's from just, New that's York the whole quote. That's <laughs> just what that's what you do. You get up you get up in the morning, you check the news, you see what ethical mess has Administrator Pruitt found himself in today. Man, he is more productive at doing weird stuff right. than anybody I know. Used mattresses, lotion? Like he has his aides drive around to hotels and steal the lotion. That's gr- uh, hotel right. lotion is unanimously known as gross. I mean and and like I'm gonna want. Yeah, I'm gonna have my. I'm getting some weird looks from the audience about that. <laughs> gonna have. Gonna have my my wife see if we can get a Chick Fil A franchise using my official post. Like, it's just, it's just bizarre, um, the amount of scandal that he has, and like weird scandal, like scandal that doesn't involve like cutting this extra regulation, right? It's like scandal, like of non-work like, related stuff. Yes, he's like really busy, like yes. trying to do other things, right? And, you know, I'm, I'm going to throw out there again, I've said this before, but for anyone who's listening for the first time or who, you know, didn't hear it when I said it, it's, it's, I don't hate Scott Pruitt like as a person. I don't do this because... You don't I know just, him as a person. Uh, that's true, right? I, I don't do this because I'm just like, you know what? Seems like a gross oversight. Let's, let's <laughs> pick on that guy, right? Um, but it's, it is very frustrating and offensive to me that someone whose whole shtick is like eth- ethical... Um, ethics and accountability and government responsible government like not overspending you know good stewardship of taxpayer dollars is just grossly abusing his office like his whole thing is supposed to be like get the corruption out and he's like the most corrupt person i mean i guess we don't know if he's the most corrupt person he's the most visibly corrupt person that we know about so far there are a lot of corrupt (laughs) people um and so that's why i focus so much on him and additionally he has made no secret of his designs to have a um, longer political career here in Oklahoma. And I think this is something that we should talk about. Yeah. So uh, what was the, the podcast? Trump file. Was the Trump files? About him? I think so. There was a podcast, and I'll have to find it, uh, that was about him, and it was fascinating. Uh, they talked to Joe Wirtz here at um, uh, State Impact Oklahoma uh, and some other folks that are local. Did you listen to it, Nicole? You're I nodding. Did. Um, where they like went and interviewed his very first 
client as an attorney uh, and really went back and the whole thing was just fascinating i kind of sat aghast in my car listening to it nice um, what's, what's the word when you're just saying they were like slack jawed maybe anyway it was super bizarre all right well that's that's it for the news recap i know it was longer than usual hey that was but we haven't done a news recap in a few weeks that's that literally what long. I said before we started. Thank you, and listeners. You tried to cut me off. And live audience for dealing with it. <laughs> also, our old married couple bickering. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's move on to our... Um, let's take a quick break first. Yes, two quick And then uh, we'll come back and with our legislative recap. So let's do the legislative recap next, um, because even though they are out of session, things are still happening. I was up there today at the yep. Capitol for a bill signing, and there was a whole bunch of people up there. 100%. Just because they're not there does not mean they ain't doing stuff. So ba- what now? You give me a look. What's the look? No. You- Just because they're not present doesn't mean that they're not doing things. Doesn't mean that What's they're that inactive. I think you were being judged for your well, grammar. Just because they're not at the Capitol, that doesn't mean they're not doing things? Yes. Okay. What did I say? Well, this whole present thing, it was very oh. strange to me. Oh, well, that's fine. <laughs> that's, that's fair. Not a lawyer. All right. Um, so the, we are going to talk briefly about interim studies. Last week was the deadline for interim studies to be filed, so we thought that'd be oh, man, a, I totally good, that. a good topic. Um, first up, what is an interim study? It's a study in the interim. It is a study in the interim. Can you be more specific? No. (laughs) (laughs) So interim studies, uh, interim studies are basically these are these are um, in depth look at looks at like legislative and policy issues that can be requested by any member of the House or the Senate. So oftentimes, if there is a particular you know issue of concern that they tried to address legislatively and failed you know maybe they wrote a bill they couldn't get the bill heard um the bill was heard but it didn't uh garner the necessary support to pass an interim study is one way that a legislature can a legislator can use to try and one get more data to make a better case and two kind of help their colleagues understand more why the issue is pertinent. Interim studies have to be requested, um, and they have to be requested by a member, and there's a deadline. That deadline was last Friday. Um, and then the Speaker of the House and the Senate pro tem um, decide, the Speaker decides what House studies are approved. The Senate pro tem doesn't approve or disapprove interim studies, but he or she does assign them to committees and the committees are what actually conducts the study usually the studies take place from september to november and they are um often done at the state capitol right it's often like in the chambers right Right. you can just go and watch right exactly um usually there is not a formal like report but what will happen is there will be several meetings um, sometimes just one other times they'll have even several days of meetings they'll bring in experts Mm -hmm. to talk about um you know what whatever the, the issue at hand is um, and there's not again. There's not usually a, a typical like report or formal like recommendations. It's just kind of a time to um, learn more about a particular subject and decide if there's a, a way to proceed legislatively mm-hmm. further. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think maybe the most, if there's such a thing as a famous interim study, one of the one of the there's not one of the <laughs> one of the ones that generated a little bit more kind of um, this actually did I think generate some national notoriety. notoriety uh, Representative, still Representative John Bennett, uh, Republican of Salisaw, requested an interim study. I don't like where this is going. A couple of years ago, uh, looking at uh, the possibility of Sharia law being implemented in Oklahoma. Um, This doesn't even make sense. Right. So, uh, so that's one. There's others. This year, the House has requested 57 interim studies. I could not find data on the number of interim studies requested by the Senate for this session. Um, Most recently, I could get was 2017. Um, So we've got we've got a bunch here. We've got uh, modernization of the Open Meeting Act. That sounds cool. Clarifying uh, voter felon rights. That's interesting. Um, One that's just called education reform. I feel like that's fairly broad uh then then it gets even more more specific mental health of farmers and ranchers um also important again important not Um, discussed ever that's probably true katie says there's a rise in suicides really ranchers and farmers i had no idea so i I, you know last week we talked about suicide for quite a bit at the beginning and i think this is a great example of something that um, that rural-urban divide that we often reference, and like how it's easy to become jaded against one or the other, but like, listen, like, if you if your livelihood is based on weather patterns, right, <laughs> stuff you yeah. have zero control over, and it's based on your crop and your ability to um, to harvest on time and, and the correct amount, and also on commodity prices, stuff that's all this stuff that's totally out of your control, that is a stressful environment. And, and I can understand. Also, people that have enormous um, property taxes, mortgages, whatever, sure. on these big farms, and sure. equipment, and all this stuff. And often, this is stuff that's been handed down from generation to generation, and you are at risk of losing your great-granddaddy's farm. That's stress, man. Yeah. So, anyway, I believe that. Thank you, Katie, for that information. We'll look more into it. Kim, do you have any information to share about this? You nodded. No? no okay. Just agree. Yeah. Just agree. Okay. Interesting. Concur. Cool. Moving on. I wanted to add a little tidbit on that. Um, another great use of interim studies is when you have a constituent who has a life-altering event or something that occurs to them, and they reach out to their representative. Interim studies are a great way for their elected officials to create the study and the change necessary to kind of make those changes in laws. One of the ones that I know that Stephanie Bice really did when she did a safe sleep interim study um, based on a kiddo who passed away in a daycare facility. And then from there, we made a huge change in um, safe sleep procedures in daycare. And that was because of an event that happened to one of her constituents. She went to her representatives. Representatives said, we need a law in Oklahoma that addresses this. And then it got made into law, I think, within the session or two. And so interim studies are a really great way um, to kind of use all those emails and phone calls and contacts from constituents to their representative to make those laws change in Oklahoma for things that we don't always think about. Very cool. Very cool. All right. Anything else on interim studies? No, I think it's really important that everyone pay attention to them uh, because they often are where that's a key way that legislators get information from the public. I have not actually attended one, a life goal of mine. Bucket list item is to be to to contribute to an interim study. No one has asked me yet. I got to find a way to make it happen. Surely I know something about something someone cares about. HIV, perhaps? Any of our legislators, if you're listening, you can fulfill a life dream for Andy. 
I don't. Yeah, I need to look and see what was requested. It's really interesting just to kind of listen to what they've got to. So anyway, pay attention. Come this fall, and then um, if there's something you care about and you want, this is pe- something people don't know. Yeah. If there's something you care about and you think there should be a law about it or a change in law. You can request that bill from your legislators. Yep. The best way to start. Yep. And if they don't know anything about it, they might request interim study because it's a great way to educate them and their other their colleagues, colleagues about yeah. an issue. And that's that's often, I think, um, that's a, a starting point for some of these issues. I would love to see an interim study about HIV education. Personally, our bill did not make it out of committee this year. We're going to try again next year. I think it's important. I don't think that there is one this year. I was thinking maybe. I don't. No, I, mean, I don't. If see someone requested one. it, I would have known them. Uh, Most likely, last year there was a bill that was requested by s- about HIV from someone, yeah. and we hadn't we caught no. us blindsided. That was bizarre. Um, okay, I mean, that's all. That's all I have on the interim studies. You got anything else? Anybody? Anybody? Bueller, Bueller from our live studio audience. All right, great. So let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we will discuss. Uh, our third segment, Let's Talk Judges. <laughs> All right, so uh, we're back, and let's talk judges for a little bit. Scott, I see that you have prepared, as I said earlier, a, a fantastic outline. I feel like I'm studying for the bar exam here. I don't know about that. So the first is about the Supremes. There are the Supremes. So we have a Supreme Court in the state of Oklahoma. Uh, there are how many justices so on the Supreme Court the of, state of Oklahoma? I, I don't th- practice before the Supreme Court of Oklahoma, so I think there's seven. Nine. Okay. Seven, I was seven or nine. Nine. It's an odd number. Maybe 11. There's more than five. It's 23. I don't think that's right. All right. I feel like you should have warned me that you were going to ask me that question because I would have researched it <laughs> and <laughs> not <laughs> answered with an I don't know. <laughs> You didn't read your outline, did you? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we've got the Supreme Court of Oklahoma. I mean, there's essentially what we're talking about here, um, why this is coming up is, as we've you know mentioned many, many times, the primary elections are on June 26th, and there will be some uh, judgeships on the ballot in uh, the pr- on the primaries on the 26th, but there will also be a number of judges on the ballot in November. Judges in Oklahoma... Uh, achieve their status kind of it's kind of a mixed bag how they get on the bench it's a combination of elections and appointments so there are three appellate courts in the state of Oklahoma there's the Supremes the Supreme Court of the state of Oklahoma which has how many justices Supreme Court has nine Supreme nine court justices. justices see there we go um, the Court of Criminal Appeals I have no idea how many judges are on that and then the Court of Civil Appeals those are the three right the only three appellate courts for so the state uh, of Oklahoma? Yeah, I would just want to, you just said this, but I want to reiterate so that people understand. So there's the Supreme Court, right. and then there's the Court of Criminal Appeals and the right. Court of Civil Appeals. Yes. Those are, three. So dif- yeah. criminal versus civil is an important distinction. Right. And they function, the Supreme Court is like, they're, they're the boss, but they hear civil cases, and because of the number of cases that are referred to them, they actually pawn off a lot of their work to the Court of Civil Appeals. As I understand it, the Court of Criminal Appeals in Oklahoma is the last stop for any criminal case. There's no criminal case that appears before the Supreme Court. Is that correct? It is, in fact, the Court of Last Resort. See, I'll look at that the even as a name. The Court of Last Resort. You know, that could be a band. That could be a could 90s, 90s band, Court of Last Resort. Like a late 80s yeah. hair band. Yeah. Yeah. So um, judges to the appellate courts in Oklahoma <laughs> are appointed by the governor. So 
Supreme Court, Court of Criminal Appeals, Court of Civil Appeals, all the judges that are on that, those courts are appointed by the governor. However, the governor has to select someone who's put forward by the Judicial Nomination Commission. So if there's a vacancy on the Supreme Court, the Judicial Nominating Commission will give the governor three choices, and he or she has to pick one of those three to fill the vacancy. The Judicial Nomination Commission is a group of 15, six non-lawyers that the governor picks, six lawyers that are elected by members of the Oklahoma Bar, i.e. other lawyers, and then three at-large members, one picked by the Speaker of the House, one by the Senate Pro Tem, and one that's elected by the commission itself. So that's who gives the governor his or her choices for who they can appoint to the appellate courts. Appellate court appointments are for life, but they're subject to retention by the electorate every six years in staggered terms. I apologize for the interruption. Nicole, can you define appellate for our listeners? Yes. Um, So if you were to go to um, most court cases that we're familiar with, if you are at the county courthouse, um, which is a district court level, so if it is a family case of a guardianship, an adoption, a divorce, um, if it is a criminal misdemeanor, if it is a criminal felony, or any of your civil cases, most of those will happen in the district court level. The district court will make a ruling. If someone disagrees with that district court ruling, they can appeal it to the proper court of appeals um, within the specific time period, which is usually about 30 days. And then the court of appeals, either the civil court or the criminal court, will either affirm the judge um, from the district court or they will reverse the judge and remand it back down to the district court for a new ruling. Interesting. That's a good... That was a good definition. I'm still not sure that I know what it means, but well done. (laughs) So just make it a little bit easier. Um, If there is a court from the, if there's a ruling from the district court that one party does not like, they can ask another court to come in and review that ruling. Um, Is that called an appeal? That's called an appeal. Um, Appellate an appeal. Yes. Some Latin connection there. Yes. There you go. Um, And so they can appeal the decision from the district court on a technical argument mm-hmm. or on a um, question of law or a question of fact. Can you appeal it just because you don't like it? You can. It's difficult to be successful in that. But yes, I've seen a lot of appeals that people just didn't like their ruling from the district court. I like that you said it's difficult and also I've seen a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> it's difficult to win those, but I have seen a lot of them. Beautiful. So the appellate courts, which are the courts Nicole was just describing that hear these appeals, Justices on the appellate courts are appointed for life, but every six years they have to be um, not even reelected because they don't get elected to begin with, but they have to be retained. So essentially there are five of the Supreme Court justices that are up for retention this year, which means that on your ballot in November, you will see the name of Supreme Court justice and you'll be asked to check yes, keep them on the court or no they don't need to stay on the court because the elections are non-competitive. They're not running against anyone. Um, they're not allowed to have their party affiliation listed on the ballot or discuss it. There's no opponent in the campaign. There is no actual campaign. They're not allowed to raise any money and try to like run for retention. Um, it's hmm. a simple majority. So 50% plus one um, it's yes or no. And most of the time judges up for retention, justices, judges, I don't know what their right term is, but justice, judges, justices, same interchangeable that they are usually justices of the supreme court or the court of appeals okay so justices that um are up for retention most of the time will get about two-thirds of the vote saying they should be retained so these are not the justices or the judges that for whom we see signs out 
Correct. Because they're not allowed to campaign. That How is correct. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So, the so who are all those people? Supreme Court and Court of Appeals are are not sign people. Right. Not sign people. Next up, the sign people. So you would definitely not recognize their names. <laughs> yes, basically, right. that's what we're saying, right? <laughs> Next up, we have district judges and associate district judges. Um, this is a little bit in the weeds, but you guys are smart. We can we can get through it together. There are 26 judicial districts in Oklahoma, right? Each one with at least one judge, and some of them have more judges depending on the population of the district and the caseload. Question? Yes. Who decides these districts? I have no idea. Do the attorneys know? No, actually. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but just so the districts are really strange, though. Um, for example, the district that Oklahoma County is in, Oklahoma County being a very large district, we mm-hmm. actually have a sister county that's in our district. So Canadian County and Oklahoma County are in the same judicial district. Um, okay. I don't know why, but that's fact. That's, but I mean, those are two of the most populous counties in the state, even. So, mm-hmm. do other districts have more than one county? Yes. Yes. How, there's 26 districts. There are 26 districts. 77, 77 counties. counties. Oh, but but there's more though because even though there's 26 districts and each have at least one judge, they may have more judges depending on how populous the district is oh. and depending on the caseload. Plus, there's an associate district judge from each county. So there are 73 district judges for the 26 districts plus 77 associate district judges. One from each county. So each county has an associate district judge, but not every county has a district judge. This is not of its own. Yeah. My brain is starting to hurt. Oh, just we're just getting started. So they hear civil cases. They hear criminal cases. Um, civil. Do you want to give us a quick civil criminal? I mean, I feel like that's criminals. Like maybe you stole something. Civil is like your criminals breaking the law. Divorced. Civil is everything that's not criminal. Okay. Um, so oh, civil can easy. be. Um, your family law cases where it's divorce, civil can be contract disputes, civil can be personal injury cases, um, they can be um, pretty much anything and everything other than criminal charges. Breaking the law. Breaking Interesting. The law. So, uh, district judges and associate district judges are elected to serve four year terms. Um, they can campaign. So you see the signs. But you'll notice, or hopefully, if they're doing it the way they're supposed to, um, they are prohibited from discussing their party affiliation. So it won't say vote justice so-and-so Republican for this district. It just says vote so-and-so this judge for this district. Signs, but no party. Right. Um, So they do campaign and raise money. Um, Elections can happen in midterm years only, not presidential uh, years. And now this, okay, this makes sense, but it sounds worse than it is, okay? If there are more than two candidates running for a district or associate district judgeship, okay, then everyone running will be listed on the ballot during the primary. If one of them during the primary election wins a majority, they win the election outright. Nobody's on the ballot for that district during the general election. Okay. If there are only two people, though, right, then there are no one's on the ballot on the primary and the two people run against each other in the general election. In the primary, if none of the three or more get a majority, the top two vote getters are on the ballot in the general. So it's kind of like if there's a primary, it's kind of like a jungle primary mm-hmm. situation. Right, right. But if there's only two, there's no primary, and it's just it's a general. Just it's a general. It's nonpartisan. That kind of makes sense. Right. You just get two of them. General. Okay. Right. I mean, this. I and I'm not normally a, a fan of violence, but I'm almost ready just to give everyone a sword and let them fight it out. 
in which case you would be uh, subject to the jurisdiction of the civil uh, criminal courts, right? Oh, murder, I suppose, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that's a, a, a kind of brief-ish uh, outline of how judges are put on the bench in Oklahoma. Um, I think that the more valuable discussion, and this is one of the reasons that we wanted um, Nicole, you to join us tonight, was... Um, and Ryan. And he's Ryan. important, too. He's, he's important. He's just... He's the strong, silent type. <laughs> yeah, we wanted we wanted to talk with you guys about how people can uh, and should go about evaluating who to vote for in these judgeships. You know, um, I think that you know, I'm I'm fairly attuned to like what happens politically in Oklahoma. I follow it pretty closely. I have no idea how to, I should go about deciding who I vote for when it comes to to judges. Um, so what are your kind of thoughts and suggestions and any of the rest of you guys jump in when it comes to the jump in if you have thoughts for sure um so when i was researching this and i asked my friends who are not lawyers how do you pick judges what makes you check a name on a box and they said well i want to know how they vote or i want to know how they rule do they rule in favor of the business or do they rule in favor of the person suing the business and as someone who practices in front of a lot of these judges, um, that's not necessarily the question that I would want to ask. I think the question that I would want to ask is, how do they apply the law, and do they apply the law? Um, being a judge, you know, it's not so much about the specific cases that are in front of them, but it's, are they applying the laws of the state of Oklahoma to the cases at hand and to the facts at hand? Um, when I asked the lawyers and I said how you know what do you tell your friends when you start getting text messages two nights before the election you know wh what do you tell your friends and what they said is you know ask a lawyer because most lawyers have very strong opinions as to judges they want retained or judges that they want to see out of office um, and so ask the judges that practice in those courtrooms but if you don't know there is power in leaving it blank instead of picking the popular name or picking a name that you like or picking a male versus a female, there is power in just leaving that question blank. And you're allowed to leave those questions blank. You don't have to cast a vote. Um, and so... Can you, can you give maybe um, a hypothetical kind of example of like, why is it, why is it maybe bad or counterproductive? Or why is it, why is it not a good idea to just pick someone? Sure. Why is it a good idea? Why why is it maybe a better idea not to vote in that judicial election if you don't feel like you can make an informed decision about the candidates? For sure. So the requirements to be a judge are actually they're kind of all over the map. And you know, before we get to district judge and associate judges, we also have special judges. Our special judges are not actually required to be a judge or not required to be an attorney in the state of Oklahoma. We have an archaic Chica, law what now? <laughs> um, from the early 1900s that says that you can be appointed to be a special judge and you don't have to be an attorney. You're telling me I could be a judge? You could be a judge. You could be special. We use this the word special. This is a game changer. <laughs> would be Turn my microphone back on. Holy moly. This would be amazing. Wait, are you still referred to as your honor? Yes. I'm in. The Need robes? You get the robe. And the robe? Yes. Hell yeah. Is it a, life, is it a lifetime appointment? It is not a lifetime appointment. How long is it? Um, until someone says that they no longer want you in that job. 15 minutes. I'll take it. Yeah, dude. <laughs> Do you get to leave judge on your resume? I believe so. That would be so awesome. Special <laughs> judge. <laughs> special judge Melson. You are special. <laughs> my mother named me so that my name would sound good as a Supreme Court justice. 
I didn't go to law school, but I uh, <laughs> got the name for it. Justice Andrew Moore. All right. Are you like a, the third or anything? Andrew Edward. Uh, oh, that, you know, it's good, but Edward makes it. Well, it's very English. I mean, for the like for a for a, a justice. Makes for a good signature. Like I can see it. Like I put an e in there usually. Yeah, just for funsies. Just for funsies. That's <laughs> nice. exactly nice. why I put it in there. Every time I sign my name at Lowe's, I'm very excited. <laughs> Ooh, so fun. Uh, so 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 you said before we even get to associate judge, we have got special judges. Oh, and, special judges. And they don't have to be lawyers. Correct. Okay. Um. Now, I believe all of them are, but there's a really old law that says they don't have to be. Um, as for our district judges, and that's a candidate for an interim study. <laughs> <laughs> somebody, sh- somebody should do an interim study on that law and whether we should have non-lawyers being judges. Continue. <laughs> Almost lost the point of the question at this point. Um, so for associate judges and district judges, um, what they are charged with in their job as associate judge or district judge, um, is they are the judges who are usually presiding over felony criminal trials. They are the judges who are presiding over cases that have high high amounts in controversy. And they are the judges who are really applying Oklahoma state law to the facts at hand. And so if you have a judge who for some reason doesn't apply the facts universally or looks at one case very differently or is somehow partial as to anything, they may not be a great judge because they may be a great judge for one person, but they're not a great judge for everyone altogether. And the concern is, in order to be a judge, you pay your $750, you say, I'm a member in good standing of the bar, and all of a sudden you're a candidate for judge. There's no vetting process for associate judges or for district judges. So we don't look at trial records. We don't look at, you know, if you've been up on appeal. We don't even necessarily look at ethics. Um, It's just, did you pay your money, and are you a member of the bar? And then do you win the election? That's it. Um, And so there's a lot of power that can be... um, there's a lot of power in being a district judge. Um, you know, we see them every single day, but they are deciding people's lives. At the end of the day, they are making decisions that affect people's freedom, that affect their money, or affect their families. And those are three things that are of utmost importance. And so if we kind of do it on a popularity contest as a pair, as opposed to a do they apply the laws of the state of Oklahoma, there can be some really disastrous results. And, and that's really interesting to me because it even, you know, even when you talk about, like, do they apply the law, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like you could have three judges look at the same case and all say that they applied the law and have three different outcomes depending on how they choose to apply the law. Like what kind of legal theory or doctrine or, you know, whether they look at the same precedent. So, um, I mean, it's it's really that's that's for me that's very intimidating right like i'm not a lawyer i don't know like case law i don't read i want to say i don't read judicial opinions but sometimes i do because (laughs) they're fun they're not as they're not as fun now without justice scalia um i thought he was a madman but may he rest in peace golly his opinions were hilarious sometimes but um but for those of us that she does that's true that's true um rbg Dude, there's a card from her, not from her, a card featuring her, a card featuring her on our fridge right now. That new movie that's out, the documentary is really phenomenal, really interesting. (laughs) John Lovett said a couple weeks ago that the most, uh, the most powerful, the third most powerful person in the world is Ruth Bader Ginsburg's trainer. Right? (laughs) I mean, listen. It's like it's the the president, then RBG, and then RBG's trainer. 
Right. Yeah. I <laughs> felt a little lazy. She has to stay on the bench forever. She does. She's she brilliant. might. Vitamins and protein shakes she forever. She could be the first human to live to be 150. Mm-hmm. But, um, not but Chris it's, Traeger. But, you know, not knowing about different legal theories, not knowing case law, not knowing precedent, it's hard for me to know, I guess, just without asking friends of mine who are lawyers, is Judge X or Judge Y going to be someone who consistently applies the law in a reasonable way? Um, so is that what we should do? Like we should just find people who find people who maybe practice in front of these judges, um, find people. I mean, is there, is there a way to kind of get that information if you don't happen to have friends that hear, you know, uh, what do you call it when you do a case in front of a judge? What's that called? <laughs> a trial. Trial. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> to, who don't try cases in front of these judges? Is there, mm-hmm. like, is there a way to, to get that kind of information? Um, the Bar Association usually puts out some literature, especially on appellate judges and Supreme Court judges. As for district court judges, it's kind of hard to find. Um, and usually the opinions that you do find are from parties to cases that the judges have ruled on and they ruled against those parties um, in Oklahoma County currently there's poster boards and poster boards and poster boards of people who had judges rule against them and they say that they need to be removed and they they line out all of these arguments against the judges um, and I mean when it comes to the judicial process and it comes to criminal processes or civil processes it seems the parties who are the most angry are the most vocal and so you don't always get the people who are pleased with the judges who are being incredibly vocal about them. Um, so honestly, yes, ask someone who sees them on a regular basis and see someone who practices in front of them or see someone who does practice in front of them on a regular basis. And if you don't feel that you have the information, again, it's, it's a vote that you don't necessarily have to cast. Um, you can leave that one blank and vote on all the other ones that you're informed on. So I, I mean, I've heard that kind of advice from other attorneys, um, people that I trust that said, on judges, if you're not sure, either don't vote or just vote in the person that's there. Like sometimes the change is is more traumatic, you know. And I was, and that's not advice you hear about other positions typically. For uh, for appellate judges, I know so many people who their that kind of their philosophy is vote them all vote them all out no matter what. Like right. vote not to retain. They don't know anything about them, but they don't want to retain any right. of them. And I think that's the sentiment of just like vote these bums out right. mm-hmm. and. If I mean, even in the legislature, there's a lot of good people up there mm-hmm. that that we're losing this year because they don't want to return or that they're term limited or whatever. And sometimes that loss of um, institutional knowledge and experience is devastating. I was talking to uh, Representative Marcus McIntyre today. We were there for I was there for a bill signing and was uh, and we were talking about that that very thing in the legislature. He's only been there for. Uh, two years, four years. Two I years? think that Marcus just finished his first term. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so maybe two years. And so it's two or four, not very long. And so he's learned a lot in that time, but not near as much as someone who's been there for ten or twelve. You know, and so uh, recognizing that, like some of the alliances he's built in the last couple of years are gone, and now he's got to start over with a bunch of strangers who don't know him from Adam. And I think that's the same thing between like attorneys and judges and judges and other judges and just that whole system. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not even necessarily so much focused on, you know, necessarily keeping incumbents. We have a lot of really great incumbents. Um, but really it's, I mean, like I said, there's just, there's no requirements to kind of get into that. And it's such a high profile situation um, where you, you could be voting out someone who's actually an attorney and voting in someone like me or Scott. <laughs> 
God Whoopsie. willing. Special Whoopsie. Judges. We don't vote on special judges, but yeah. Someone who doesn't and know that it's called trying a case. Right, yeah. That would be. <laughs> What's it called when you do law in front of a judge? Look at my fun jacket. It's a robe, sir. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, honestly, you look at, you go back to Patrick Weirich, and, you know, he got appointed to the Court of Supreme, to the Supreme Court. His trial experience was pretty minimal, honestly. Um, and all of a sudden, he's like the head guru in the state of Oklahoma. And if you count the number of trials that he's done, they're pretty minimal. Yeah. Um, and it's just that's a crazy way to, to put someone, you know, at the highest level when you're asking them to deal with people's freedom, family, or money. Right. And it's interesting, too, because you mentioned, Kim, that you have a lot of friends that say they want to just get rid of all of them, don't retain anybody. I, I usually, for retention, I take the opposite tack. I'm like, you know... Um, and if they got there, I think my thing is if they got to one of the appellate judgeships, they should be hopefully at least reasonably qualified, not a special judge like me or Andy. Right, because um, there's other um, other judicial positions that you have to apply for. I have a friend, an attorney, that recently applied for yeah. some side of some sort of judgeship. But, 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 uh, but who nominates those judges? Well, I mean that, that's a great point, right? Like that's that's. Yes, 100%. And my thought, though, is typically, like, even if I may not agree with the philosophy, like, their judicial philosophy or the kind of thought process of the person who nominated them, if they haven't done any, my thought is if they haven't done anything egregious, then they probably should stay. I think I'm, I, I, I don't know. I think one of the most valuable checks that we have on government um, at any level in this country is what is hopefully a fiercely independent judiciary. Um, I am not really a fan of electing judges at all, um, or even to like retain them. Um, um, I think the retention maybe is a little bit better than having like a popular vote election for judges. Um, but I feel like the judges, even judges that like, you know, write opinions that are about as far away from what I think somebody like a Scalia or a, Gorsuch um I do think that they should be I don't know I don't I don't love subjecting them to the I don't love subjecting them to the electoral process well and it's weird honestly um like we have district judges who have to campaign and it's weird to have a district judge who is campaigning because that's not how I want them spending their evenings um, but that's the position that we put them in is if they want to keep their job, they have to campaign and they have to get donations and they have to put out signs and they have to get people on their campaigns to put out those signs. And that's just, it's a weird thing for district judges, I think, to be in that position to where they have to campaign on the side in addition to trying to be a independent judiciary. Do you think it's more difficult for judges or for the labor commissioner when they're knocking doors? Like who hit? You knock the door and you're like, "Hi, I'm running for district judge," and everyone's like, "What does that do?" I think okay. you know, I I would say labor commissioner because I think most people at least know what a they, judge is. Well, they have an idea of what a judge is, however misguided it may be. I don't think they have any idea what the labor commissioner does. That's Hopefully, true. they do after listening to last week's pod, right? And watching our debates. Yeah, Clay, I've learned what, a lot. You you mentioned what do you what do you what do you think about all this? I mean, because you you asked me like thinking about who like taking into consideration who nominated them. What's kind of your thought about? Retaining judges electorally, well, or if Mary Fallon nominated somebody. I may not necessarily want that person to uh, stick around um, and keep voting. I wouldn't if if I had that option with Gorsuch, then I would certainly sure. want to get them out of there. Sure, because he's not doing a really good job. Sure, <laughs> sure. Fair enough. I mean, I can't. I mean, I, I, I can't disagree with your logic. 
<laughs> not one, not one bit. Um, what else? I think that's good, good on the judges. This has been super informative, Nicole. Thank you so much. So much. Uh, thank you guys all for coming. We're not we're not done yet, by the way. This that's is right. just the We've end of our this is the end of our official conversation. One so quick break. Nicole gets to drink the rest of her wine. That's right. <laughs> You're off the mic. Uh, one quick break, and then we're gonna come back. And we're gonna visit with Clayton Barr, the wine doctor, about what kind of wine pairs well with election results. What kind of wine is good for libertarians? Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. Stay with us, guys. We'll be right back. Okay, we're back. And for this last segment, less serious, slightly less politics, more wine. wine. We're joined by Clayton Barr, the wine doctor. He is... The assistant to the regional manager. Yes. No. <laughs> assistant to the assistant. Right. <laughs> He's the uh, Western Western Oklahoma Western District sales manager for Artisan Fine Wines and Spirits, uh, who are also one of our sponsors for our Bourbon fundraising event yes. last fall. Thank you for that, Clayton. Yeah, and the fantastic whiskeys that you brought. That was, it was really those great. Were awesome. I still have some that I've been bogarting uh-huh. um, to drink it's been really great um <laughs> nicole gave me the stink out of it. i still have Where's it i'm saving invite? it for when you guys come over anymore. They're delicious. <laughs> it's just dry it's the uh one of them anyway uh clayton thanks so much for joining us yeah and so we wanted to close out this episode by discussing some wine pairings so you have a show on i did you did show. that's right it ended yeah, on ksu good well i don't feel bad about um stealing their thunder then no um i actually was <laughs> at at the spy just the other night recording a, a different podcast um but uh the show is called tasty notes mm-hmm. and in that show you would match up wine uh you'd pair wine with different uh songs right different yes musical genres if you will yes uh, and so today we wanted to do the same thing but instead of music politics <laughs> Which is very exciting, despite the laughs we get from the audience. So, so um, Clayton, we're coming upon a, a primary election. We're going to have an election watch party. Educate us. What kinds of what kind of wine pairs well with a watch party? With the watch party, I think uh, the suggestion earlier of, of wines with high alcohol are probably <laughs> right. the best. Any, any kind? <laughs> yeah. Like California, maybe New World, California, or right, right. Portugal or Spain. Right. Going to be very high in alcohol, so stick with those guys. That's fine. Yeah. Australia. Australia. Really anywhere. <laughs> yeah. That's right. No, not anywhere, because European wines are not typically very high Well, they, they're mostly Spain. socialist over there. That's probably yeah, why. Terrible. <laughs> horrible people. <laughs> what, um, do you find that, uh, that certain um, political orientations political party affiliations lean towards a certain type of wine libertarians are they all rose fans i can't oh, believe that no. goodness no so yeah i would think libertarians would be more like willamette valley where everybody's fiercely independent up there mm-hmm. and doing their own thing and making their own rules fair enough Interesting. yeah portland that makes sense yeah right so uh what about a a oklahoma republican Oklahoma Republican, neo conservative, iced tea. No, <laughs> that's right. That's right. Exactly right. They don't drink alcohol. Kidding. kidding. Well, they don't talk kidding about jokes. it. Anyway. They don't talk about it. That's right. I've <laughs> seen them. Right. I went to a conservative university. <laughs> to 
definitely found beer hidden in the vent in my dorm room <laughs> and cigars. <laughs> Sinners. So, uh, so I would say in Oklahoma, liberal, but in general, while there are people across the spectrum, there are. many of ours are more of a blue dog Democrat, right? So mm-hmm. what's a good wine for a blue dog Democrat? I think blue dog Democrats are more practical and drink kind of whatever um they get in front of them so, so boone's farm <laughs> yeah whatever whatever works for the moment you know, they're not they're right. not uh um they 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 just kind of like whatever whatever they can get their hands yeah. on yeah so i mean you've been in the alcohol industry in oklahoma for a, a while and we've had some big changes in the last couple of years how does that how have you just seen that playing out with the political landscape mm, that's <laughs> That's a big question. <laughs> more wine, yeah, more wine. No, uh, it's going to be interesting. So it's playing out right now as we're right. talking. So those little se- uh, secret sessions and stuff that are happening, not secret sessions, but the interim things and people working up there. There's still many unanswered questions in those bills that were passed uh, by vote. And so uh, there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of fodder for attorneys, I'll put it that way. Um, because there's there's no uh, cheers from the attorney crowd, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, you have enforcement agencies and you have uh, legislators who don't understand how the system works or how things work, and then you have right. the enforcement agencies be like, "I have to do whatever. I have to abide by whatever laws are passed." And so, if you don't understand how the law works, then and most legislators aren't attorneys, so you you end up with laws that don't necessarily make sense. And so many times after a big, like this is a big constitutional change. Right, right, right. This right. is uh, state question 792, is yeah. that it? Big yeah. constitutional change. Yeah. So there will be lots and lots of challenges coming out of this. Lots. Oh, still, uh, interesting. Over the first year. Okay, and, so and it goes really, into effect. That's really where the laws get, get that's where the law gets sort of uh, hammered out is in those challenges when we actually see what what's actually going to happen right over the next couple of years as the as the attorneys go to bat for whoever feels like they're being wronged right interesting and so those <laughs> so and those laws go into effect this uh, some uh, this year right some of them have already gone into effect kind of sort of i mean there's they're trying to help the legislature's done a great job of, of being aware of the industry and the changes that they've asked the state to make i guess or, mm-hmm. or you know they put forward and so they've been pretty good about allowing um am i talking i'm not talking close no, enough um they've been pretty good about uh being aware of that and sort of being lenient on some things or adapting the current because you know you're it's like flipping a light switch you know you have one law one day and you have one law the next day and you just can't just do that you can't change right. a whole entire uh system of checks and balances and the way things work and just by flipping the light switch so they're kind of a it's still going to be chaotic as all get out, but they're they're trying to maneuver things so that it's not so uh, crazy. It'll still be crazy. Do you think the change? <laughs> do you think the changes we're looking at are overall um, positive for the state, positive for the industry? How do mm. you? What's your? I don't know yet. Sure, it's a lot. I'm, a lot we don't know about how this right. is going to play out. Um, I think a lot of local businesses will go out of business okay. because that's mm-hmm. just the nature of the and way it's I've seen happen. that already. I like a ton They're of those already, small liquor stores, like next to Seven Eleven and stuff. Seven Eleven, the second that the law passed, Seven um, uh, Eleven owns all the buildings, uh, at least here in the right, city, where they're located, in the metro yeah. area. I don't think they own them all over the the state, but at least in the city, they own all of the buildings that they're in, and so they negated the leases the second so they're not renewing leases for any liquor stores that are 
reside in their property. They don't want to compete against them. So. And prices below, are going up. Yeah. Prices have already gone up. Um, whether or not they, yeah. So that was that's a long story. I don't know really. Unless sure. you really want to know the answer to that, of why that is, I can explain it, but I don't necessarily want to. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> there is, there are there are market reasons for that, but it's a, sure. it's just a hot mess. Right, the whole thing is so, just a hot mess. Sometimes being a, a capitalist society has its downsides. Yeah, change is inevitable, and and hopefully at the end of all this, that maybe things will get better, and maybe right. they won't. So right. you know, depends on how much you know how how much we continue to uh, as a state, how much we continue to. Um, give in to outside interests. Right, right. I mean, we, the the a lot of this was outside interest. Sure, driven, sure, so, sure. Well, I mean, I mean, you know, the the, the everything has a, a good side and a bad side, right? So the good thing is we'll be able to buy wine in grocery stores. And, the and bad cold thing is beer, and there'll be single strength beer. Right, right. And those are right. good things. And those are good right. things. The right. the downside so the is part. some people control the market, and there's like, you know, like, um, it's the double edged sword of everyone likes low prices and everyone hates Walmart. Right, but, and but. Right. They, it's the Walmartization of America. Yeah, and that, right. that's essentially what this law did. Is it allowed for that to happen? Is it funny to you guys? This is a maybe not a, a wine based comment, but we all most of people I know like despise Walmart, but we love our Amazon Prime. <laughs> and like <laughs> it's just Walmart that's delivered to your door. So okay. So here's <laughs> so Ashley is giving me the, the stink eye right now because we have this conversation a lot. But my question to you is why do you despise Walmart? Like what? What is it about that you don't like? I'm I'm fine with it. Okay. Well, I I'll be honest. <laughs> I mean okay. I don't. There's I, things I, I don't like, but like I, I, I tolerate I can tell you everything I don't like. Right. Well, because because biggest thing is they don't pay their workers enough, and we are paying for you know their for for welfare benefits for their workers. We're putting the bill for that, and they're getting all these tax breaks. Right. So under yeah. underpaid staff. Yeah. At both companies, I'll say that. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> yes, yeah. Katie. Excellent and, point. Their and, lighting is abrasive. Well, well and they so, destroyed small town America, but at the same time, some small towns have reinvented themselves, and, and mm-hmm. there's been a renaissance of that also, in, right. a, in a strange way. So right. I don't know if I call it good, but right. certainly decimated uh, rural America. Yeah, mom and pop shops. And yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Sure. I mean, the way that kind of like that I approach it, like I I don't like Walmart, and I for all of the reasons that you mentioned, Kim, they're 100. percent and the abrasive lighting. But I, I mean, a big thing for me is I don't, sorry to, I hope I don't like alienate every Walmart employee who listens to us. I don't like shopping at Walmart. I don't like going in and like physically doing it. You know what I mean? Like I don't like, right. Being, I don't like shopping anymore either. Right. I don't That's like why being, I like Amazon. I don't like being in the store and doing it. And there are things that like, there are things that we need, you know, like, you know, paper towels and like there's stuff that you need to function in your life and i can buy it at walmart i can buy it at cps i can buy walgreens or i can buy it for on amazon pay less and they'll deliver it to my house mm-hmm. and so i don't know if that's i don't know which of those is the more ethical choice and because i don't know which one is the more ethical choice and i don't really know how to figure out which one is the more ethical choice i make the one that is most like convenient and palatable to the me. ethical choices to Target, right? Thank you. The ethical choice also <laughs> is to. <laughs> you hate Target? <laughs> I don't like the shopping experience. All right, that's I that's don't like going story. in Target. <laughs> I think the ethical choice is to grow your own cotton and make your own napkins. I mean, that's oh, that was clearly. Or buy from your local <laughs> buy from your local cotton right 
grower. Yeah, yeah. I have a friend in I Colorado. Like, is that, I was like, is that a thing? Is there no, one that I don't know about? <laughs> I have a I friend. Mean, it is a thing. Old t-shirts, undershirts, right? I have a friend that um, was making her own reusable toilet paper. That's a bridge too far for me. <laughs> because, but to each the yeah. run, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess gone. it's. I mean, I guess it's basically. Let no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's, I was going to say it's the same as cloth diapers, but it's not. Clayton, what kind of wine yeah. goes best right. with reusable toilet paper? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that so, one. I don't know if I can eat that. that long story you're going to tell? Yeah. So, yeah. Talking back to that long story. That's good. That's a Clayton, long, complicated. Uh, <laughs> I think one thing, you know, I think one thing that comes up when people are having you know, part, whether it's a whether it's a watch party for you know a football game or an election or just having friends over to enjoy food and drinks, I think something that can be really intimidating for people is trying to have, um, you know, especially when you talk about wine. I think a lot of people get really worked up and have like anxiety about putting the quote right wine with the right food. Like, what kind mm. of what would be your advice for people how to kind of approach that when you're going to have wine and you're going to have food? How do you do both of them together? How do I do both of them together is I've had lots and lots of practice. And so I get to see what works together. But if you don't have that, then... And I actually taught uh, a music and wine class the other day. And somebody asked me that almost the same question. And so I kind of uh, look at wine pairing for myself. So let's just say that I'm going to do... Let's say I'm going to go do mm-hmm. something. So I might approach it three different ways. I might... Uh, build an entire meal around a bottle of wine that I want to drink. That sounds amazing. Right. <laughs> but that's just lots of, lots of practice. I might choose a bottle of wine based upon the meal that I'm going to have and then take flavors from the food and flavors from the wine that I know are going to be there and mm-hmm. kind of match mm-hmm. those together, kind of like this white wine and cheese we had earlier. Or I'm just going to drink whatever the hell I want. Got a boy. Right. You know, I'm going to I want to drink this wine right now, and I'm going to eat a cheeseburger or hot dog with it. Right. And so my right. yeah, my so basic that's, rules that really are doesn't, so really just I I don't care. Yeah. But I think that's I think that's <laughs> I think that's important. I think it's important to say though because I think and this is and tell me if you think like this is blasphemy, but like I I love good food and I love good wine and I love it when they go well together. But I also I I also people have asked me before like well what's what's a good wine and I say the good wine like the best wine is the wine that you really enjoy drinking mm-hmm. right Absolutely. like that's no I hundred percent agree with that it, it, one of the other things I used to say on the show all the time was you know if you're going to a store and you're trying you're wanting to try new things or you're if you're adventure you don't want to know what's a good wine because there's a lot of wine there's a lot of choices there's a lot of choices in wine and a lot of times we're afraid of making a bad choice we buy the wine that we've had before all the time or whatever. And my suggestion is, if you see a bunch of words on the label and it's under $15 and you don't know what those words mean, buy that wine. Sure. And I, I bet 90% of the, I mean, depending on what you like, but for me, that's, I'm almost guaranteed I'm going to have a bottle of wine that I'm going to enjoy. Sure. Or at least I get to learn about well, something. And then, and then I got to find out what those words mean. And, right. You know, and also, you know. like, write down... <laughs> the name of the wine because yeah. I hate when you have a bottle like, oh that was delicious and then you throw it away and then later you're like what was that what was it it's no, really yeah. good <laughs> so, there's also some great apps yeah Delectable yeah. and Vivino and you can take a picture of the label and it tells you what the wine is oh that's handy mm-hmm. yeah I've never and you can rate it so you can go back yeah, we do oh, right. have, yeah we do kinda have like the ability of Google and things yeah. to kind of figure mm-hmm. stuff out so yeah I mean, my if basic you, rules are red wine with red meat um, yeah. 
and then like white wine with fish usually um, but now everyone loves rosés and I don't know where they fit in there because they're rosés go with everything that's what I've everything. I think that's why they're so big right now right. I uh, you know like I, I think that one thing I try to and this is you know this I think is mostly when I'm trying to like pick if somebody says hey bring some cheese and bring some wine I try to pick a bottle of wine and a cheese that were made in the same place like oh, if, you know that's what I mean? a good idea. Like if both in Australia, like or? if it, well, like if so, if they if they're made in the same place, then there's a reasonably good chance that they're going to go well together because the people who are making the cheese and making the wine probably eat and drink it together and they yes. made it so it's going to go together. You're you know absolutely what I mean? right. Like so, that's that's probably my biggest rule of thumb is like how to like try and get a if I'm going to get a French wine, I'm going to get a French cheese, ideally from the same region and so forth. Yeah, I feel like we had a rosé tonight, and it's from Slovenia. Um, it'll probably be about fifteen dollars on a shelf right. somewhere. So that's a fifteen-dollar bottle of wine. It's from Slovenia. You've never seen a Slovenian rosé before. Sure. So try it. Absolutely try it. It's to- it's totally worth the risk for that. So we've got now, so- but once you get over fifteen dollars, then the risk factors start to change. Sure. Yeah. So we've got Slovenian rosé. What else? <laughs> what else have we been drinking tonight? What else can you tell us about the wines we've oh, had? Oh goodness, uh, we had a lot of Bordeaux tonight. Um, God bless Bordeaux. That's yeah, in France. Some, that is in France. Yes, some French French Sauvignon Blanc, and some Napa Cabernet and Cabernet Franc. California. Yep. We're so multicultural. <laughs> <laughs> we, we traveled all over the world tonight. That's right. Wine. I feel like it. Well, I think this has been um, this has been a lot of fun for us. I hope it's been fun for you guys. Um, we appreciate all of your time. We appreciate you listening, jumping in, participating. Uh, Clayton, we absolutely appreciate the wine um, and your knowledge and expertise there. So I think that's probably going to wrap it up. I want to say special thanks to Nicole and Ryan Gillette for jumping on the show and giving their thoughts about the uh, state judiciary and elections and how to evaluate judges. Thank you to my wife, Ashley, for letting us have this in our house uh thank you to katie andy's fiance for being here supporting and making sure that we all have our glasses filled as we've gone through the evening and thank you to kim for jumping in and for your thoughts as well andy that's thank right you as Scott, always that for, brings uh, us to the end of this episode remember you can connect with us on twitter and instagram at let's fix this okay Scott is at SC Melson. I am at Andy OKC. Clayton is at Wine DR. That's Wine Doctor. Nicole is at underscore Nicole. That's how I first knew you for a long time. Was just Lawyer no, Nicole. Both of you, That's right. Yeah, we've all been Twitter friends for, <laughs> for a very a long, long time. time. <laughs> Have you guys ever met before, Clayton? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, our Facebook page is facebook.com slash let's fix this okay be sure to check out upcoming events including our two debates next week and you can also find that information and more on our website let's fix this okay.org our podcast is edited and produced by Scott and me and let's pod this is a member of the mostly harmless media network our theme music is graciously provided by the Sugar Free All Stars. Let's fix this as a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization. And our goal is to equip and educate all Oklahomans to engage with their government in meaningful ways. We encourage you to get involved in any way that you can. Don't forget to vote on June 26th. Scott, what have you to say? What kind of line would Scott Huh? Yeah, donated. <laughs> donated. Free. Donated. I like free wine. <laughs> uh, Prison uh, used, used wine. <laughs> <laughs>
somebody? <laughs> Other people's? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the mini fridge one, right? Yeah. <laughs> Remember, everybody, decisions are made by those who show up. <laughs>